Yeah, so for roll call, we have Alex Madrid, hey. Orchid Sasuni, present, Sherry Albers. I don't believe she is here. Um, Denise Senhawks. She's absent as well. Okay. Uh, Helen Smolinski. Present. Jayshawn Lewis Woods. Here. And Ananya Tandon Verma. And that concludes roll call. Thank you. Uh, can you please read the agenda, please? Yes. So for item number one, um, we have welcome and roll call. Item number two um, is reading and approval of the agenda. Item number three is general public comment. Uh, item number four is the co-chair report. Item number five is report from the mayor's office on disability. Item number six is a presentation on e-scooter safety enforcement update uh, presented by Kate Torin from the SFMTA. Item number seven is the active communities plan uh, addressing equity and accessibility for the citywide bike network being presented by Christopher Kidd, also from the SFMTA. Item number eight is the announcement of the winner of the Bob Planthold Beacon Award, and that will be announced by Denise Senhawks. Item number nine is correspondence. And item number 10 is general public comment. Item number 11, council member comments and announcements. And item number 12 is adjournment. Thank you. Are there any council members question or comment about the agenda? Okay, please say yay if you approve the agenda. Yay. Orca speaking, yay. Thank you. Does any abstain? Okay. Um, now we are on number item number three, public comment. Um, Craig, can you please open the meeting for the general public comment? 
Yes, so at this time, we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and end of the meeting, as well as after specific items on the MDC agendas. Each comment is limited to three minutes, although comments may be limited to two minutes when there's a long queue of people waiting to make comments. At the end of the comment period, we will move on to the next commenter. If you want the council to respond to your comments after the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. You may also provide additional comments by email to this address or by calling 415-554-6789. Members of the public can join the meeting as a Zoom webinar participant and will be able to make public comment directly during the public comment periods. If you join the webinar using your computer or tablet or smartphone Zoom app, click on, the, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand icon. You will be recognized when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you join by phone, dial star nine when you want to be recognized. You'll be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. We also welcome suggestions about how to make the MDC meetings more accessible. Please send an email to mod at sfgov.org. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send an email to mdc at sfgov.org. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not in this meeting agenda. For agenda items, you will have an opportunity to address the council when that item is reached during this meeting. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised by public comment. Um, so at this time, um, if any members of the public who are attending would like to make a public comment, please press the raise hand icon. And I do see at least one member of the public who would like to make a public comment. So at this time, Vincent Nguyen, um, I have unmuted you and you may speak. So hi, uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay. okay. So hi, my name is Vincent Nguyen. I am a second year pharmacy student at UCSF here with my classmates, Christina Callen, Rachel and Siavash. We are asking for a policy that requires insurance companies to provide diabetes management supplies that are fully accessible for those who are visually impaired. Diabetes is one of the leading causes of preventable blindness. So it is very common for patients to have, to manage both diabetes and vision loss. Currently patients who are visually impaired do not have access to equipment that fits their needs. For example, imagine having to pinpoint the location of 
a blood droplet on your finger to measure your blood sugar or inject insulin daily without being able to see. When not managed, diabetes can lead to limb amputation, kidney failure, and death. So on the market today, there are very few blood sugar monitoring devices that can be used without vision. And of those, many are not covered by insurance entirely or patients spend months fighting for coverage. As for patients who require insulin for diabetes treatment, there are currently no accessible insulin pumps options either. Providing accessible, equitable diabetes supplies should be a right given to all who have to chronically manage their diabetes condition. We are asking for a policy that requires insurance companies to provide diabetes management supplies that are fully accessible for those who are visually impaired. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comment. Are there any more public comment at this time? At this time, I don't see any other members of the public who would like to make a public comment. Thank you. Now we are moving along to item number four, which is information item culture report. Um, since um, the September MDC meeting, class member Sherry Abrams have sent a letter on behalf of the MDC to the M. TA board regarding the proposed tax fair increase, which was presented to the MDC at the September meeting. The lady expressed the concern that proposed fair increase would be difficult for people with disability or fixed income who use higher transit taxi services and that the public the problem um experienced by people with disability who use higher transit services should be addressed. Miss um Abres also attended the October MTA meeting that addressed this issue to uh, we isolate the MTC's position. And I just want to note, addition to that, Sherry and I did a uh, um, public awareness framing for public share spaces um, last month. Um, uh, that, Alex, this is the interpreter. Could you say again what you and Sherry did together? We did a PSA framing for public um, for um, Shared spaces um, accessibility. Um, 
Um, I would ask, okay, if you have any more um, closure reports at this time. This is Orca speaking. No, I have no co-chair report at oh, this time. Thank you. Now we are moving along to item number five, reports from the mayor's on disability. Um, Director Van, welcome to the, uh, to the meeting. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm just gonna uh, pull up my report. Uh, one moment. Okay, so the full report will be posted immediately uh, following this meeting, uh, but there's a few things that I would like to highlight today. Um, first, related to local legislation and resolutions, uh, uh, there's a new uh, resolution that I'm going to be talking about since last time. So resolution 221 008, limiting teleconferencing and remote public comment at meetings of the Board of Supervisors and its committees. This is sponsored by Supervisor Mandelman. Right now, it is pending assignment to the Rules Committee, but it could be heard as early as December 12th, 2022. If passed, this legislation would discontinue remote public comment by members of the public and meetings of the Board of Supervisors and its committees, except as legally required to enable people with disabilities to participate in these meetings. The mayor's office on disability is charged with advising on a workable, reasonable modification request process, and we will continue doing this. However, as you know, as has been brought to your attention in previous reports from me and also from the public. Locally, the Community Alliance for Disability Advocates, or CADA, CADA is asking for a continuation for all meetings, not just, and for not, not just by people with disabilities, by request. So the council is strongly encouraged to engage with this item and really talk about what you think about this and how you would like to proceed as the results we anticipate will have significant impact on the public uh, engagement process moving forward. Related to JFK Promenade, the next hearing, uh, if called by the Board of Supervisors, is at the discretion of uh, Supervisor Stefani. However, the, um, the uh, Recreation and Parks Department is expected to begin to advance on additional accessibility improvements as noted in the above commitments and in alignment with your resolution in the coming weeks. So the council is also encouraged to monitor this and consider calling for an update on this item as well. Related to shared spaces legislation, Alex already mentioned that um, himself and council member Albers uh, we're part of a public service announcement around the accessibility of shared spaces, which was written in collaboration with uh, the Mayor's Office on Disability and uh, Senior and Disability Action. Um, the video was in post-production and when it's complete, 
we're encouraged to air the video as part of an upcoming MDC meeting. I will say I've seen the rough cut of it. It looks really great. Uh, so that's very exciting. <clears throat> Related to e-scooter e safety, Supervisor Peskin's resolution 220957. We'll be getting an update on that uh, in a little while in this very meeting. Next, I'm going to highlight uh, related to federal legislation. I said this last time, but I just wanted to remind members of the public that the spring 2022 unified accessibility agenda is posted and there's notice of advanced proposed rulemaking on medical diagnostic equipment, other equipment and furniture, web accessibility, and sidewalks, curb ramps, street crossings, and other pedestrian facilities. In my report, there's a link for how to participate in each of these. You can also go to ada.gov and uh, request to be notified of when to comment on each particular hearing or the ones that you're particularly interested in. And I really want to encourage the public to uh, take part in that process. In other MOD news and announcements, first, I want to give great thanks and gratitude to our ADA Grievance and Training Coordinator, Iman, whose last day with the Mayor's Office on Disability was November 10th. Thanks also to John Costi, who is temporarily assisting with this role while we hire for the position. And thanks to Tess Bartlett, who is our San Francisco Fellow this year, who is temporarily assisting as clerk during the MDC meetings. Thank you very much for your support. And thanks for your public for your understanding as we, um, as we transition and continue to serve you in the best way that we can. Also, MOD uh, this week launched our new website at sf.gov slash MOD. Our website is the city's, on the city's accessible template and features a disability resource page that brings together disability information from across the city. This is very exciting. This is the first time we've had this. Our pages, though, are newly launched and some are still in development. So as we continue to make things better, feel free to send your feedback to us so we can do that. And thanks for engaging. We really want to hear uh, what's working for you and, and what can be improved uh, related to the website. And then in other news, the national letter uh, to request to meet uh, with uh, Secretary uh, Buttigieg from the Department of Transportation has been endorsed by our mayor's office. So I anticipate a final version will be coming forward soon. And I will certainly share that with you and we will post it for the public. As you think about what else you might want to agendize for future public hearing of the MDC, in addition to all of the active local legislation impacts, which I strongly encourage you to review, there's a few other things I wanted to mention. Uh, one is the Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Needs Assessment, which the final draft of this report which was driven by local legislation in which MOD is named a participant and partner is currently being introduced and circulated to members of the Board of Supervisors. Department of Disability and Aging Services would like to convene a joint meeting between the Mayor's Disability Council and the DOSH Commission in February 
to um, to hear specifically about this report, although I also anticipate that um, the report will be called for review in public board of supervisors hearing as well, uh, potentially as, as early as January. When you uh, have the joint commission meeting, however, the council is also encouraged to consider hearing an update on another uh, significant uh, disability and aging services initiative, which is the age and disability friendly San Francisco implementation plan and work group as part of this meeting. And the remainder of my items are items that I have mentioned in the past. So I will stop there for now. If you would like to engage with any aspects of this report, either the council or the members of the public, please feel free to contact us at mod at sfgov.org or by calling us at 415-554-6789. You may also join our distribution list by going to our website at sf.gov backslash mod as well. Thanks very much for your attention. And that concludes my report for today. Thank you, Director Bond, and that's amazing report. And I was told to announce that um, we, we have found a site, a great site for the holiday gathering. We, we are having MDCMOD. A holiday party going to be in on December 9th from 3 to 5. Um, December 16th, the regular time for MDC meeting was not available. We have to announce it to the public since is an MTC sponsored event and public funds are being used for the, for the gathering. It is a public space. Um, this is Nicole speaking. I just want to reiterate that it's intended to be yes. a meeting for the Mayor's Disability Council to meet the public. So the public is invited. Um, th that's all. Yeah. Again, it will be December 9th from 3 to 5, and more information will come. Thank you, Director Bond. And now we are moving along to next item, which is item 6. The discussion item is called Safety Enforcement Update presented by Kate Hawkins, San Francisco MTA. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking time on your busy agenda to have us here today. I'm Kate Torrin, Director of Taxis, Access and Mobility Services for the SFMTA. And um, I just wanted to start off with a global comment and then I'm gonna introduce you to the team. 
Um, and just to say that scooter safety is critically important to us and um, we take it really seriously and we have a very detailed and robust presentation for you today and that my colleague Forrest Barnes, who's a mobility services planner, will be um, actually giving the presentation. I'm here for support and to help answer questions. And we also have Erin uh, McAuliffe, who's the principal access and emerging mobility planner here as well to support and uh, student intern Brady Van Lowe. So we've got the a, uh, a strong team here for you today. Forrest is going to give the presentation. And again, thank you for uh, making time on your agenda. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, I'm going to um, ask that um, either I be allowed to share my screen or that um, the host, um, there we go. Great. Give us one moment, Forrest. Um, okay, you're good. Great. All right, thank you so much. So again, my name is Forrest Barnes, and I'll be presenting today on the Powered Scooter Share Program and give updates um, regarding safety and enforcement. Thank you all for having us here today. So, First, I want to talk about the scooter share program and the desired outcomes. First and foremost, safe and equitable mobility options that serve the public interest, um, diverse ridership, supporting transit service by providing first and last mile options, uh, mobility innovation that helps reduce traffic congestion, parking demand, and carbon emissions, and ensuring that the program um, is designed in such a way to maintain access at all times. Uh, so um, some of the challenges with the program um, include illegal and unsafe riding behavior. So sidewalk riding, double riding, or riding the wrong way on the street, or improperly parked devices impacting the accessible right-of-way, um, including on our sidewalks, as well as rider accountability and equitable service throughout the city um, to ensure scooters are available throughout the city. So just some background on the program. Um, this year, there are three permittees. Um, Bird, which previously was Scoot, is authorized to have 1,500 devices on the street, while Lime and Spinner each authorized to have up to 2,000. Um, the current permit term expires June 30th of 2023, so um, next year. And then during that time, the SMTA will be um, modifying and planning on um, changes to its current permit program. So just a quick program snapshot between July 2021 and October 2022, there was around 2.6 million trips. Um, there were citations, including uh, both parking and writing citations. Um, just under 15,000, and there were just under 10,311 complaints about the program. Some of the key requirements about the program are outlined in our permit terms and conditions, and they uh, require various things of the permittees in the following categories, which is safety and rider accountability, parking requirements, 
an equity focus, including an adaptive scooter program, uh, low income plans, uh, neighborhood distribution, which means ensuring that scooters are available uh, equitably throughout the city, uh, community engagement requirements, some extensive reporting requirements to the SFMTA, labor harmony, um, including some um, scooter companies have um, unionized workforce and then also summary suspension, which allows uh, the director of transportation to somewhat have a suspension of a permittee if uh, deemed unsafe. So um, some of the commitments that we've had from our permittees, um, and I would like to note that these are increasing as we um, really hold them to their commitments. Um, so user education, so app pop-ups, safety reminders and safety quizzes, on-vehicle safety messaging, quarterly safety training classes, um, escalating penalty structures, so fines or account suspension for uh, improper writing or parking behavior and increasing intensity, um, in particular for unsafe writing. Um, some hermities will just immediately suspend the account. Um, and then additionally to institute sidewalk writing detection technology on uh, the scooter fleet. So this includes technology that when a scooter itself detects that the rider has mounted the sidewalk to slow and stop the rider, um, as well as provide audio audible, audible messaging um, and to bring the ride to a halt. Um, also, as part of our um, permit, we have the permanent adaptive program, uh, which when the permit started, first there was the complementary adaptive program, um, which still continues where riders could check out um, an accessible scooter and then now we've required that adaptive scooters require 5% of the on-street fleet, um, that adaptive scooters must be available for reservation through the permittee's mobile application. Um, we have various monthly reporting requirements and all three permittees have committed to the complementary adaptive program uh, with additional devices for pre-scheduled drop-off and pickup. Um, and then here we, um, just a note on the Adaptive Transportation Day that uh, was with Forth in Golden Gate Park on November 5th. Um, so scooter permittees joined the regular Forth Adaptive Cycling Program for an Adaptive Demonstration Day. Um, now I just want to just give a quick uh, summary of where scooter trips are happening most in the city. So in the top left and the top right, there is um, graphics showing the trip origins and trip destinations in the city and the trips total that there are per month exceeds 100,000 currently. Um, most of these trips are occurring in the northeast portion of the city. So that includes the financial district, the Embarcadero, Soma, and then the next most popular being near Union Square and some of the other um, inner neighborhoods, including the Western Edition and the Mission being other popular locations. Um, 
And so as those are the most uh, trafficked areas in the city with scooter riders, you can also see that that also uh, relates to where we see the most 311 complaints um, and where the most scooter parking citations are issued. So 311 complaints are passed directly to permittees to respond with and are integrated with Salesforce. So the permittees or the, the scooter companies can close out these complaints uh, with a photo to resolve the case. And then there's a complaints database and public dashboards um, to view where these citations are happening to trap complaints about improper running and parking. Um, parking complaints are required to be resolved within two hours and investigators respond and issue citations for scooters that continue to be misparked. Um, and as you can see uh, um, there, just to, to reiterate, most citations are happening um, in the northeast section of the city as that's where the most writing is happening. Um, so in full transparency, the, the, the SOMTA has um, put a lot of this information on our website. So including various public dashboards uh, and the top is a screenshot of some of our website. So um, just as a, a quick overview, um, scooter citations versus trips and devices. So it's less than 1% um, of trips have a parking citation or um, per device. And um, overall, these numbers are tied to our uh, permit terms and conditions with the goal of in decreasing these numbers um, and ensuring that the greatest number of trips possible or all trips and properly parked um, and without uh, misproper writing. So the SMTA enforcement staff um, to ensure proper parking and safe riding include eight enforcement staff. They're generally on the street seven days a week. They're authorized to issue administrative penalties for improperly park devices and for improper writing, um, which is a new addition. Citations are issued via an enforcement app um, that automatically requests that the device be removed um, after it's ticketed. Um, device removal is required within two hours. And then, like I had mentioned, the enforcement app is integrated with both 311 and the SMJ's public dashboards. Additionally, um, to monitor compliance, um, we can see where the scooters are in the city and you know, monitor daily trip activity, but also make sure that um, the device cap or minimum is met in various neighborhoods so that there's minimum deployment across the city. Um, and that also that the financial district in Embarcadero um, is not where all of the scooters in the city are concentrated. We also uh, maintain a complaints database and monthly and quarterly reporting from the permittees. And we have recently used uh, various Salesforce tools to um, improve tracking of these citations and uh, improve reporting um, and to integrate with 311 to make sure that this gets passed over to the companies themselves to move the scooters as quickly as possible. Um, 
And so just some quick stats about the improper riding and parking citations. So for improper parking um, in the last, or since the current permit term started in July 1st of 2021, we've issued nearly 14,000 uh, improper parking citations and the city has collected just over $4.1 million in fines. Um, the fine was $100 per citation um, for a while until February 28th of this year, and then it was increased to 150. For improper writing, um, since uh, March 15th, the MTA began being able to issue these citations for improper writing to the companies themselves. Staff have issued 763 improper writing citations and collected just over $200,000 in um, fees. So scooter citations versus trips. So this is a comparison of the three permittees. Um, and so just a quick summary um, for bird, just under 400,000 trips, just over 1% of trips are in with a, a misparked or improperly parked scooter with Lime. Um, there's been nearly 1.5 million trips and less than half a percent um, ending with a citation and spin in between the two with nearly 800,000 trips and um, about half a percent ending improperly parked. Um, and then to give you that breakdown, um, so as you can see here, or this chart demonstrates that of all trips that have happened in the city, um, which there's been over 2 million, um, this permit cycle, Lime does a bit over half of the trips, uh, spin about a third, and then for the remainder, and then of that distribution, um, the parking citations are 40% um, line, which has the most uh, trips, but then about an equal distribution of parking and moving citations um, here. So additionally, um, we can see that, um, hold on, all right, one moment. Uh, our partnership with the port, um, we also, uh, re there's reimbursement charged for retrieval from the bay and from port property. Um, at the port, there's also been improved signage um, on the promenade where uh, scooters must use the bikeway um, and then automated notices to the port for devices that need recovery. Um, and quickly, I'm going to run through. There was a few sidewalk detection technology demonstrations. The first one was in Soma in December of 2021 on a bike lane with various curb cuts and low pedestrian traffic. We tested permittees' promises as stated in their applications. We validated what worked well and what areas needed improvement, and staff issued guidance and recommendations to the companies on how to improve their technology. Followed by an additional uh, demonstration on the Embarcadero in May of this year, um, testing on the bike lane, the parking lane, various curb cuts, and a minor amount of pedestrians in the testing area. Um, and our guidance was to have 
in-app messaging and one-inch decals, but also to include continuous audible sound uh, upon mounting the sidewalk. So what a writer might hear is something like uh, a voice that continues to say, no sidewalk writing, no sidewalk writing, um, to actively decelerate, uh, to signal to um, when the device is on the sidewalk. Um, we also recommended uh, nonverbal audio sound in the bike lane. And um, we noticed that advanced GPS technology and cameras showed the most promise of the technologies. I want to be very clear that this at this demonstration, the technology wasn't 100%, but this is what staff's recommendation to the companies are and to ensure that sidewalk writing is taken seriously and that the technology gets iterated upon and improved. Um, and finally, we did an audit most recently in September with high pedestrian traffic free uh, ball game um, and validated to see if those um, best practices have been implemented. Um, we verified the required markings on the scooters and the audio message warnings. Um, we found improvement in various permittees and various anti-sidewalk writing technologies and uh, recommended guidance for continued improvement to really take uh, our recommendations completely seriously and to implement them fully um, and all of them. And so that's something that we're continuously in talk with the permittees about. Um, just a quick summary for each permittee about how many units of, um, or how many scooters have sidewalk riding technology, Bird, which previously was called Scoot, uh, had, has about 1,300 units with the technology. It's based on mapping. So therefore, um, staff have to map where the bike lane and the sidewalk are for advanced GPS. Um, it will notify the rider um, of on the display on the scooter and make an audible alert before automatically reducing its speed and coming to a full stop. Um, and an app message will pop up when the app is open to remind riders not to ride on sidewalks and that that can result in a fine. Um, Lime, um, which recently has given us another round of commitments, but um, our most recent round of commitments before this presentation was that um, the technology will alert writers um, on all units, um, the in-app messaging, the follow-up on safety education, and progressive discipline, um, a 50% pass-through for the cost of any citations to writers, um, rolling out new AI-based technology with upgraded audible alerts and deceleration, um, and committing to sharing information about band writers among all permittees. So, Riders that continuously break the rules or uh, ride unsafely, the MTA is encouraging permittees to share um, who those riders are amongst themselves. So a rider who's ridden unsafely before isn't just going to the next company to do the same thing. Um, and finally, SPIN, um, which has currently 300 uh, sidewalk riding technology equipped devices. Again, all of them have committed to rolling this out across their fleets over the um, coming remainder of the permit. Um, the camera-based technology plus GPS is how it works. It works citywide, but I believe the 
um, units that have sidewalk writing technology are being deployed in the areas where that's the, the most common. There's voluntary no ride. They've implemented a voluntary no ride zone along the Embarcadero and committing, again, committing to sharing information about band riders among all permittees. Um, so real quick, just what, here's a slide looking at what the escalating penalty structure looks like um, across each permittee. Um, so as you can see, um, some of them share the uh, band rider list. Um, some of them begin with a warning and then um, escalate somewhere between 10 and $40 fines. Um, and then the amount of riders cited um, for spin and bird include over a thousand citations, um, even close to two and various suspensions. Um, and for Lyme, they give us the data um, as the number of citations passed through to riders. Um, so additional enforcement um, initiatives in progress include increasing the fine for improper writing um, from $200 to $500 on November 1st. We've established a trial no parking zone along the Embarcadero uh, as of November 1st. We've improved the 311 app to allow complaints to report improper writing as well. Um, or we are, sorry, we are working on doing that and rolling that out in early 2023, as well as updating dashboards with improper writing complaints. Also on that note, we are working with the permittees who have data on where sidewalk writing is happening and compiling that and seeing which um, interventions work best in order to decrease sidewalk writing. Um, we are also auditing um, the devices to make sure they have the correct uh, stenciling, auditing the technology. Um, we're encouraging um, the permittees to, to conduct public safety campaigns, um, as well as um, increasing our investigator staffing um, to make sure that we can accurately give out um, or to, to give out more improper writing and parking citations where needed. And then we're also um, beginning uh, around this time and, and over the next few months conducting a scooter share program evaluation, which we'll be looking at um, in what ways do our permit terms and conditions need to change? Um, what are appropriate requirements uh, for sidewalk writing technology? Um, and just seeing in general um, how the program might continue um, into uh, or beyond uh, July of next year. Uh, quick look at the current no parking zones at the Embarcadero. The SMTA uh, issued no parking zones with geofencing restrictions um, from Jefferson Street to uh, the Ferry Building and um, each permittee has already implemented these no parking zones. Staff are uh, working internally to determine what the next steps might be with this, what is effective, did it decrease uh, writing or sidewalk writing and other um, improper writing and parking issues in the Embarcadero. Um, and then 
other enforcement remedies in our current permit terms and conditions. So um, we, if needed, the director of transportation can issue a summary suspension um, in the case of threat to public health or safety. And there's also partial permit revocations and permit revocations for non-compliance with the permit terms and conditions or misrepresentations and permit applications. Um, so, um, for next steps, um, we are going to continue with the existing permits until June 30th of 2023. Um, we are working on the evaluation of those perm uh, permit programs. We've engaged a consultant to help evaluate the current program and make recommendations for the next permit term which will include a focus on sidewalk detection technology requirements. Um, we'll also be looking to vehicle design requirements and best practices for safe vehicles. Um, we'll be continuing our existing enforcement and monitoring activities. Uh, we'll be implementing safety and enforcement enhancements and we'll be continuing um, adding device parking. So uh, bike racks and expand bike lane infrastructure throughout the city. Um, and that's what I have for you today. So thank you all so much. And um, myself and then the rest of the TAM staff who are here today will be here to answer questions and to take comments. Thank you for that, I'm going to ask my fellow council members, please raise your hand. If you are all, I will call you each of you. Um, Helen, please consider your question. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Forrest, and thank you, SFMTA. That was a really thorough um, presentation, and please know it's appreciated. Uh, I'm, I'm really um, heartened to see uh, that SFMTA is is really all over this um and and the improvements that have been made to enforcement um i remember when the scooters first came out on the city streets and it felt a little you know with with a with a just as a pedestrian but also with pushing my daughter in a wheelchair it felt a little chaotic kind of the wild wild west so um i'm i'm so encouraged by all the good work you're doing so please um, know that and, and uh, thank you. I have to ask so that last picture you showed in your presentation, is that a real picture of the woman on the, or no? No, I, I believe that was from the early 1900s and it's a historical picture. And it's an early scooter? Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That was really cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, thank you all. Thank you for those comments. Thank you, Alan. I'll get question. Yes, this is Orchid here. Just a brief comment. I want to thank you for the presentation. And it's really good to see steady improvements. And there still are some areas of concern. Some may not be under our jurisdiction, but I have noticed that some scooter riders have injured themselves by not being very attentive as they ride. And I guess my question has to do with, do our streets themselves need some improvement 
I know that sometimes there are potholes in, even in the bike lanes as well. So is there any discussion of how the streets can be better prepared to accommodate these modes of transportation? Um, and it may be that a reason why people do go up on the sidewalk is because it's a little more reliable in terms of its smoothness. And so I, I just wonder if quality or conditions of the streets are part of what you look at when you look at violations of sidewalk riding. I just want to throw that out there as one part of my comment. Also, I couldn't ride a scooter myself because deaf people are notoriously have, have bad balance. Um, they will even even the the accessible or the adaptive ones would be tough for me. I guess my point though is really back to how how you provide uh, prevent injury from riders due to road conditions. Uh, do you have any comment on that? Um, I mean, I, I will say the SMTA is really looking into that and scooters specifically um, within the Vision Zero context. What I can say is um, at the end of the presentation, when we talked about device requirements, um, I mean, there is something to be said about like the, the geometry of the wheel and the wheel size. And, you know, if you're with such small wheels, like a pothole can launch you off your scooter. Um, and so we're looking into, you know, changes to the actual devices themselves to ensure safety there. Um, and then in terms of our streets, um, we're absolutely aware um, that most of sidewalk riding comes from, um, besides a part of the trip to park it, from uh, the sense of lack of sense of safety on the roadway. And like we have seen from the permittees that um, streets with protected bike lanes have a higher percent of trips and then also a lower percent of time sidewalk riding. Um, and so that information is um, something we're collecting now from the permittees that we do want to share out to our streets team. Um, and I know additionally, our Vision Zero team is looking at, um, you know, quick builds and just in general, um, the, the collision data with scooters and seeing um, are there specific street improvements that need to be done. Um, yeah, I don't know if um, anyone else on TAMS wants to add to that, um, but I, I will say we are looking deeply into that. And I guess Christopher's on this call and we, we should add um, getting that data over to the planning division for, for the active transportation update. Hi, this is Kate Torn, and I'll just um, add a little bit to Forrest's answer, which I think is, is spot on in that as part of the management of the scooter share program, we partner with the, our colleagues on the streets team. And so they're very much engaged with the street infrastructure and it is a focus to continue to expand uh, bike lanes and I know Forrest mentioned that as part of the presentation so I just wanted to add that as well and in fact the management of the um, scooter share permit program started on the street side of the house and, and 
when scooters first dropped and then it uh, we partnered for um, a number of years and so that partnership is still very strong internally um, but I think that's a very good point and um, and yes um, that is something we're looking at thank you this is Orca speaking yes definitely It'll be very good to widen the bike lanes. That'll be very helpful, I think. But hopefully we can see more vigilance on the evenness of any any lane. For both for cars, for bicycles, and for scooters. Also, perhaps the, the elevation of the sidewalk can be taken advantage of to prevent riding up onto the sidewalk. There are people who have their own personal e-scooters, which of course is, won't, will not fall under any of the things you talked about here, but these are all sort of nitpicking right now because I really do appreciate your work and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, okay. Um, this Sean, do you have a question? Um, not particularly. I mean, it just, I think mostly what I was thinking about, and it's not even a question. It was just, um, I mean, it was something I just remember and also I've been uh, observing uh, recently, but I remember from our last uh, presentation, like, I think it was two months ago, uh, just about like, um, uh, just the the carelessness of uh, some of the drivers here in San Francisco um, and wondering if that's um, what's affecting some people riding on the sidewalks as well. Um, like um, my my partner is visually impaired has and has been hit, uh, almost hit several times by people just kind of just careening around corners and intersections and things like that um, while she was walking. Um, so just, and it, I don't know, it doesn't look like a lot of things are just being enforced in that front. Um, but, um, yeah, that just, um, this whole thing just got me kind of thinking about that. Um, and maybe, uh, that's one of the reasons there's so much riding on the sidewalk. Thank you. Um, Helen, come back to you. Oh. Helen. Oh, okay, okay, I promise. I Sorry, I forgot I had a question for, um, for us. Um, do you keep track, does SFMTA keep track of the number of people with disabilities who make complaints? Because I'd be curious if the people who are complaining and or you know who get injured, is it a disproportionate number of people with disabilities? Um. I'm going to ask my colleague Aaron to see if we collect that in 311. Um, I, I don't know if that's an optional field um, when you're reporting a complaint or not. Do you happen to know, Aaron? Um, I'm double checking right now, but I'm fairly positive that 311 does not ask for demographic information, including disability. Okay. And then what do you all do with the, um, the, the money that comes in as fines? Does it go, where does it go? Does it go to the disability community resources or department? You answer that. Yeah, I can. Um, so it goes, hi, this is Kate Torin again. It uh, is not designated to any um, 
particular community and my understanding of it um, that it just goes into the main muni kind of or MTA general fund or um, or kind of like the general funding or it's not a funding source the general money that comes in but we can get you a more specific answer but um, that's outside of what we do we're kind of policy and enforcement and and then when that uh, money comes in it's in the different um, workflow at the agency. And in terms of the demographic data, I don't believe that's collected. And um, I'm going to rely on Erin. She's checking. But uh, when we um, we are going to um, do another survey, and I believe we do collect demographic data as part of the survey. And so that's, and if we don't, we'll circle back and, and have that conversation. But we have conducted a couple of surveys, or we've requested the scooter permittees to do surveys. Um, and so that is helpful and important information for us. Yeah, okay, thank you for that, Kate. Because I would think if you do find that it's a disproportionate of people um, who are older, people with disabilities, that maybe maybe the fine money goes back to improving safety for that community. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you all. Thank you, Helen. Before I go to this stuff, I have a cold question to you all. Um, I'm, one is that I don't know if you guys focus on the market, sidewalk, and things like that. What happens outside of downtown area? Do you guys identify um, schools um, being in the sidewalks? And how do you guys enforce that that um, evaluation? Because I live in um, a set of um, sunset, and I see a lot of um, scooters running uh, parked on the street um, on the sidewalk. And I use a power chair and it's hard to get around where that happened. So that's one. And the second thing is that um, I'm sorry if I missed this first, but did you guys say about having limited speed on the sidewalk or or if the scooters get on the sidewalk, it should stop automatically. Um, I missed that part. And then, and then I want to ask that if I can't put, this is the last question I have, is that if I company evaluate men multiple times. Um, we've been told a couple of years ago that MTA can devoke the permit to operate in the city. 
have you guys done that or willing to do that without any hesitation? Or I'm not sure if Kate or Foster will answer those questions. Sure. I'm, I'm, how about I, I start and then Force can be the cleanup crew if I don't hit everything. Um, uh, so I took some notes as you were talking and I'll start with, uh, uh, maybe I'll go backwards, reverse order, but in terms of revocation of a permit, that is something that we do have the authority to do. We don't do that lightly. It's a very big deal and we have to build a case and there's due process as there should be. And so if a revocation does happen, um, then it likely would go to appeal. And so it's a very lengthy process, but we do have that authority under the, uh, the permit. And so uh, while we haven't revoked, we have had, uh, we've certainly had disciplinary action and we had a situation that came up with Scoot at the very end of the, their last permit term. And we didn't revoke because it was right at the very end of the permit term, but we didn't issue them a new permit until we um, assured that we had a thorough investigation and they cleaned up the situation, the disciplinary matter. So, um, so that did occur. And um, so that's about the revocation. Sidewalk speeds, uh, just to be super clear, it is illegal for scooters to ride on the sidewalk. So there's no speed with, with which we would say it's safe or it's okay. And in terms of guidance uh, related to the sidewalk detection technology, um, there is some best practices for a gradual slowdown. So there may be discussion of speeds to slow down the device so it just doesn't cut immediately and and cause the rider to fall off we don't want that to happen either but it's not intended to be then they, the rider continues riding slowly on the sidewalk it is intended to signal um this is not okay you cannot ride on the sidewalk and you need to get off and, and walk the scooter so that's um that's the sidewalk question Hope I'm answering, and if, if I'm not, please let me know. And then how enforcement happens. We do um, look at hotspots. We do look at the data. We look at the complaints that come in, and um, and that's why we wanted to have information. Uh, we're always trying to get information out to the public on how to make a complaint because that's really important to us. And so we do rely on the 311 system, and the team is out um, on the streets daily and they are enforcing daily with the uh so i would encourage uh everyone who can um and is able to uh either call in and make a complaint um by 311 or use the app there are multiple ways to to make a complaint and so i encourage everybody to do so and um yeah, so the enforcement, there's on-street enforcement and our team is is out in the field daily. So I, I hope that answers everything. No, thank you for the um, answer. Um, I just want to go back to my question regarding um, sidewalk safety. Well, the first question I have 
was another focus focusing on the London area. So what happened if someone live or packed um, the schools um, in the sidewalk outside of those um, high spots and possibly not detecting the app? And how do you guys mitigate that issue? And then I just want to curious on um, I know that last year, um, um, there's an incident that one of the scholars hit one of the disabled person. Um, I just want to see if I know that there was a discussion on the limit of detected uh, the minute someone get in or get on the sidewalk, it detects. Have you guys or your team tested on that or do you guys rely on the company that can lie to you guys or how do you just make sure those are implemented? Implemented. Okay, thank you, Alex. So for enforcement in neighborhoods outside of the downtown core, um, we do, the team goes and, and works citywide. And so if there's an improperly parked device in your neighborhood, um, please call into 311 or um, email MTA, or again, there are multiple ways and Forrest covered that in the presentation, but multiple ways to make that complaint. But we do, we do get them and we do follow up on those complaints. And so um, that, that may happen and the team is mobile again across the entire um, city. And then in terms of the sidewalk riding, we, yes, we test, we audit, we check. We've done um, two large demonstrations and um, where we invite all the permittees out and we actually ride and test. We have, we have staff ride and test and those that uh, feel safe doing so and test the technology. And we've Oh no, I think, actually I think we've done three, two, two larger, one um, less, uh, I guess a, a smaller version of it. And then we audit, there's ongoing audit as well. So there's a lot of engagement um, with the staff and we have quite a, a robust staff that is assigned to um, the scooter safety and scooter enforcement program. Thank you. Um, I, I think I think it can be improved. I hope that, um, yeah, I would like to um, see some more, some changes on making sure once the, the scholars get on um, the sidewalk, it, 
automatically detects the virus. I'm sure even you say that it's illegal. People do it. So um, well, thank you for that. I'm going to pass it to the staff if any question for the, from the staff. <clears throat> Thanks, Alex. This is Nicole speaking. I'm going to go ahead um, and say, first of all, thank you, everyone, for uh, being here. Thank you to the council members for your great questions. And I want to get to public comment, but I had a couple of questions myself. Uh, first, to disclose all of my biases transparently, this team certainly knows, and the council certainly knows, and many members of the public also know that I was seriously injured myself um, by an e-scooter uh, last year, and I appreciate all of the responsive measures that we've taken since that happened. I also know that uh, people continue to be injured and people with disabilities continue to be injured. And so towards that, um, I really do want to encourage us to look into how we can uh, maybe collect this data a little bit more robustly. Um, certainly, there are ways to use the 311 app to do that. We collect disability, uh, voluntary disability information for those that want to self-disclose for the shared spaces program when we have disability access violations there that are reported. So I just want to encourage the team to, to look at that. And then um, the other thing, I was wondering, and maybe this is best for Kate, I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak maybe a little bit to... Uh, you said you're bringing in a consultant to do a little bit more work. Can you speak to a little bit more to what that person will be doing or those people will be doing? Thanks. Yes. Great. Thank, thank you. Thanks for the comments. And, and we are making notes and um, very good point to acknowledge the data collection point. And, and again, to acknowledge your injury and just that is an awful situation. Everyone should be safe on the sidewalks. So um, for the consultant, this is an opportunity for the MTA to step back and have an independent review of the program on whole and to look at, uh, does this program help the MTA meet our goals? And so when Forrest started his presentation, we talked about the outcomes that we wanna see in this program. And then we talked about the challenges, right? And the idea with the consultant is that we want them to actually look at, is it meeting our goals? Is it, you know, we want them to look at the safety of the devices as Forrest said, because there, there may be reasons why people tend to ride on the sidewalk related to how the device is actually built. Um, we want to look at best practices for enforcement in peer cities. We want to look at, are we doing everything we can do? Is this helping MTA reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions? Like, you know, is it helping us to meet all of those goals? And that's the intention. And so we're still working to onboard the consultant, um, but we've developed a scope of work related to the complaints we've heard and the concerns we have and the questions we have to understand is this a net benefit, this program, um, or, or not? And then we need to, then those are policy decisions for the MTA board to consider. But we, you know, we take our enforcement role seriously and we take the, you know, the look at 
the overall benefit and the cost benefit of the program on whole. So that's the intention. And those are a couple of areas that we want to look at specifically of um, greenhouse gas emissions, the device safety. I know Forest probably has another couple top of mind, but again, enforcement. Is there what else can we be doing to keep the program safe? Uh, best practices for the sidewalk detection technology. Um, I will say this is a it's a new program. As you may recall, scooters just dropped in the city in 2018, right? And MTA had to one scramble to get the regulatory authority to even have a permit program, which the Board of Supervisors, and I'll thank Supervisor Peskin for being the lead on this. Um, you know, the Board of Supervisors established the ability for MTA to have a permit program, and then we started with a pilot. And so we've really come a long way. We have a, you know, a program that's maturing, and we've had a lot of lessons learned. But when we first, um, or in the first few permit issuances, we didn't specify a certain sidewalk detection technology because, frankly, there wasn't any at that time. But now, given we're a couple of years into the program, into this service, we want to look to see MTA, do we want to get more prescriptive with that and to actually say we want this specific type of technology instead of leaving it to the permittees to tell us what their solution is. So, so that's another example of what we're going to look at. Thanks. I think towards also um, the uh, the proliferation of privately owned scooters. I just had a question towards that. So that if 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 a scooter is not permitted, and there's a complaint filed, does MTA handle those as well as what or what happens with the non permitted? Uh, scooter complaints. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I, I think I made a note, Orchid made the, the similar point about a lot of these devices are privately owned and operated. And so those complaints still come in, but we, we don't have the enforcement authority um, over privately owned scooters. And so, for example, the you know ability to issue a citation when they're blocking the path of travel, we cannot do we cannot issue a citation based on improper riding on the sidewalk if it's a, a private scooter. Um, the ability to issue that type of citation to an individual is actually under the police authority. And um, so MTA, it's a moving violation. And so MTA investigators can't stop a rider and issue that type of citation. We have the ability to cite the company for improper riding, and that's because they have a permit and we can cite them under the permit terms and conditions. So when we are thinking about developing our scooter safety campaign, we want to get the broad message out because what we're seeing is that, frankly, a lot of the sidewalk riding is the private scooter rider. And so for our campaign, which we're working on developing messages and concepts, um, we want it to broadly address scooters um, to get the message out. So again, to try to uh, really um, address those privately owned scooters as well. Because even if we solve the um, scooter share problems and if we have everything perfect, which you know we're working on and we that's our goal, um, we will still have that uh, the issue with the private scoot scooters. 
Right, thank you so much for highlighting that for folks that might not be aware. Um, I, the last thing I'll say is I, I certainly hope as we continue to develop our awareness campaign that the disproportionate impact on folks with disabilities and older adults is somehow part of the campaign. I, I wince at using the word vulnerable when we talk about disability because people with disabilities are some of the strongest people I know, obviously, right? But when you're in a situation like that, you are more vulnerable than the general population. And so I really hope that we can build in um, that awareness and courtesy as part of, part of the campaign. That's all I'll say for now. I just wanna thank you once again for uh, coming today. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks, no, I have no other questions. Thank you, Debbie. Now we are I'm opening up to to the public comment at this time. I just want to remind the president you don't need to respond to 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 the public comments. Okay, can you please open the line for public comment? Yes, so just a reminder to the public, um, if you would like to make a comment and you're joining by Zoom, you can make a comment by using the raise hand feature or by typing into the Q&A chat. If you're joining by phone, you can dial star nine and you will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. Um, so I'll give a moment if anybody would like to raise their hand to make a comment. All right, I don't see any members of the public that would like to make a comment at this time. Thank you, and um, I just wanna thank, thank um, you, Katerin, for response, and Erin Coughlin, again, thank you for coming, and I hope that, I just wanna echo what you call suggested that I think go forward, we have to think about a policy on how fabric schools users can be um, be more um, careful and more attentive to, to the public and making sure that if they are breaking the, the rules, they should be accountable. And I think it should be um, more explicit, um, educational and making sure the general public should know that they can complain about those individuals as well. Again, Kate Forrest and Aaron, thank you for coming. I hope we will see you again in the near future.
filters. Thank you for having us. Thank you. With that, I'm going to have us take a break of 15 minutes. It is now 2.25 and I would ask fellow members, council members to come back in two forty, I believe. Yes, two forty. And again, we are taking a break for fifteen minutes. Thank you. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
to do in the mix um the call or the back on live. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. I got the Hi, my name is Alex Madrid. I'm one of the MDC culture today, November 18, 2022. Um, wait, this is the second um, portion of um, MDC public uh, meeting. Um, we are on Item number seven, which is discussion item, um, active community plan adjusting uh, equity and accessibility for the citywide by network. Presentation by Christopher Kidd, San Francisco MTA. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Let us know if we need to, uh, um, to share screen. Oh, thank you, Debbie. Looks like she'll, Debbie will be running the presentation for me because I have to uh, call in from my, my cell phone when I'm using Zoom. But um, so uh, I'm Thank you so much, everyone, for, for having me here today um, at MTC. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Christopher Kidd. I'm a planner with the SFMTA, and I am the project manager for the uh, new and soon-to-launch Active Communities Plan. Um, and I'm going to give a, a presentation today, and I would love to also have a discussion with you all about our upcoming work and how we can ensure that we have really strong representation and an input from the disability community as part of it. Uh, and as this, for as part of this opening slide, it's various photos of, of people on different wheeled devices, including scooters and bicycles, uh, youth and, and elderly, um, and, and all different types of people using uh, the streets in San Francisco. So the next slide. Um, oh. Great. Thank you, Debbie. Um, so the, a brief description of the Active Communities Plan is that it is the city's first citywide bike plan since 2009. Uh, for those of you who've been around long enough, you, you may re remember the, the, the old 2009 bike plan was actually under a lawsuit injunction uh, to do an environmental impact report, and uh, that caused a lot of trauma with the city, and we haven't updated it since then. So this is our first time of really looking at a comprehensive view of, of the bike network and all components of it. And we are currently preparing for a year long of public engagement that will be starting in January of next year. Um, and this is a plan that will be adopted hopefully at the SFMTA board in March of 2024. This is a project that is funded through a Caltrans planning grant. Uh, so we have a, a deadline from the state on when we need to complete our work. Uh, in terms of the plan outcomes, what we hope to create with this plan is to have a new proposed citywide bike network, uh, including prioritized, a prioritized investment plan. So understanding which streets we're prioritizing for future projects and when we, we would be uh, moving those projects forward. But beyond the network itself, we also have a range of, of recommendations for policies and programs 
that can come out of, of this that are related to encouragement and education and, and access and making sure that, that people have the information and opportunities to, to, to use uh, active transportation. Um, and we also want to ensure that we have some, some really deep engagement, with, especially with our equity priority communities in San Francisco, and I'll be sharing more information about that later in the presentation. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the other area of this that, that we want to really focus on for this plan that I think is especially relevant for the MDC is that we're really expanding the definition um, of, of, of a bike plan in the bike network. And, and you know, we, we want it really to be representative of what we could say all devices that can legally use the bike network. And that includes things like scooters or electric skateboards. There's a, a photo, photograph of, of an electric skateboard on this slide. Um, but it also includes mobility devices and uh, devices that people with mobility disabilities use um, to, uh, to potentially use the, the bike network. And we really want to make sure that we are having a strong focus on how we can um, create uh, those conditions that people would actually want to use the, the bike network um, for all these broad range of devices. Uh, so then we go to the next slide. Uh, so the, the goals of our plan kind of stated broadly are that we really want to make sure that we are creating a plan that supports the climate action plan, especially reaching 80% low carbon trips by 2030. We also want to support our um, active vision zero activities um, and, and policy to help uh, reduce and, and eliminate uh, traffic fatalities for, for all users. Of the, of the streets. We also really want to use this plan to advance equity. Uh, and really that means that we need to ensure that we can align our projects with the values and needs of each community in San Francisco. And by doing so, we can more effectively deliver projects. We can ensure that people have all options of mobility open and available to them and to, to help Im improve people's lives through that, that access. I think when we talk about access as well, we want to, you know, we, we have a goal of supporting access. And that means that we create a network that can support all the range of devices that can use that network. And we also want to expand the, um, the, the range of people who can use that network as well. And we want to create the conditions where people feel safe and feel confident and feel comfortable and feel welcomed in being able to use that network. Um, and then lastly, we, we want to have a, an accountable path to actually implementing these things. We don't want to have a plan that sits on a shelf. We want to be able to go out and uh, deliver these projects and, and actually make people's lives better um, from the work that we've done. Uh, so can we go on to the next slide? So uh, we have a very broad team that we are working with. Uh, we have a, an SFMTA team that spans a broad number of divisions within our agency. We also have convened a technical advisory committee of other city agency representatives, which includes representations from, from both our accessibility services division and SFMTA, as well as the mayor's office on disability. Um, we have a consultant team that we have brought on through an RFP that we ran last year. Uh, and uh, the, the lead for that is tool design with um, outreach engagement and translation services provided by Interethnica. We'll be conducting uh, citywide polling and survey work through EMC Research, which is a polling firm. And I'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the tasks for the project. Uh, and a company called Safe Streets Research, which will be helping us with technical analysis, uh, especially around collision, uh, collisions and collision history. 
Um, we also have a, a range of contracted community partners, which we had actually brought on as sub applicants when we first applied to Caltrans for funding for this project. And these are partners that uh, are going to be helping us with, with targeted uh, engagement work in specific equity priority communities in San Francisco. Uh, and, and we really view them as, as co-equal partners in this work, um, especially for, for the work that's done within their communities. Uh, we'll be working with Poder through their BC Del Pueblo program in the Mission District and in the Outer Mission in Excelsior. Uh, we'll be working with Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates in Bayview Hunters Point, with the Tenderloin Community Benefits District in the Tenderloin, with Soma Pilipinas in Soma and Western Soma specifically, um, and the New Community Leadership Foundation with uh, another organization they, they sponsor called Influx to work in Western Edition and Fillmore. Uh, and then lastly, we do have the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition as an additional partner uh, for in assistance with some of our citywide, our broad citywide outreach. Um, really, just for the fact that, and you'll see this, we have a very aggressive uh, outreach uh, commitment, and we need to, to put a lot of folks out on the street to make sure that we are, we are living up to those commitments and, and reaching people. Um, so we can go to the next slide. So then I wanted to share kind of what is the work that we're doing as part of this plan. Um, and these are the tasks that we have in our contract with Caltrans. Um, the first of which is really understanding the existing conditions of the, the bike network in San Francisco. And that really revolves around um, doing data collection, uh, reviewing past plans that have been adopted in the city. And that is an enormous task. I think we have a working document that's over 120 pages at this point reviewing over 80 different plans and policies uh, that influence the, the, the bike network or, or aspects of bicycling within San Francisco. Um, we also are updating a, um, a tool called the Bicycle Network Comfort Index. There is on the right side of this slide is a, is a photograph of, of the, uh, the latest, the most recent update of the Bike Network Comfort Index in 2017 which really tries to understand and, um, and grade the level of comfort that people experience when riding on different streets in the bike network. So, you know, we, we understand that riding on a, um, you know, on, on a protected bike lane is a very different experience than riding on a roadway with no bike facility, um, but is on the bike network and maybe has high um, speed traffic on it. And so I think this is a valuable tool, both for the public and for our own planning and decision-making for how we understand um, how the bike network is working and intended to, to, to work. Um, most of this work is already completed um, and we are starting to kind of wrap up these pieces. And once they are, we'll be able to share them publicly. Um, going to the next slide. We also have a task to do a really broad ranging analysis of, of the bike network and of bicycling within San Francisco that starts with a bike network and bike count analysis, which really is our attempts to help understand um, how the bike network is functioning today, where it's being used, where it isn't being used, um, and where it's either overperforming or underperforming. And there, these different uh, maps that we have on, on this slide, one represents uh, the, the mode share of, of how many people are biking to work uh, against um, the, the existing bike network. And this was from a report that we did in 2019. 
Uh, there's another map here that shows the locations of, um, of bike parking that is, is throughout the city. And, um, and there's another one that shows the, the results of a, a, a survey that we did, um, a kind of a citywide survey on, on bicycling that was conducted back in 2015. And so this analysis task, it, it really revolves, as I mentioned, around understanding the conditions of the bike network. Um, we also are be going to be conducting what we're calling an equity analysis that we'll be doing in partnership with our community-based partners. And that's really understanding and trying to quantify um, the, you know, how the, the bike network is experienced by different user groups. And that includes people of color, but also people with disabilities. Um, and, and how that, that is a different experience than it is experienced by the residents at large. Um, we also have a collision analysis that we'll be doing, building off of the analysis for the high injury network. Um, and then we have a kind of later on into the plan, once we have a draft by a new bike network, we'll be conducting a, what we're calling a network connectivity analysis where we can understand you know, from the recommendations and the proposals that we have for the new bike network, how does that change and improve the access that people have uh, within their own communities in ways that they didn't don't have today? Um, and then lastly, the, the last item on, on this task is what we call a resident preference survey. And this is something we'll be conducting with our, our uh, contractor EMC to do statistically significant polling and survey and focus group work across San Francisco to really uh, have a, gain a clear understanding about uh, you know why people bicycle, why people don't use the bike network, other devices that they use, um, their levels of comfort with different types of streets and different types of facilities, whether they would be willing to use them or not. And really our intent is to gain a, a more unimpeachable um, snapshot of how San Franciscans feel about the bike network and how they use it, um, rather than relying on you know, a, a survey that is online that gets kind of sent out only through certain groups or has only certain types of people responding to it. We want to have something that is, is making sure that we have very strong cross tabs for either communities of color or folks like, you know, different people with disabilities to really understand um, how the bike network is experienced differently by different people. Um, so we have our next task for the next slide. And this is our public outreach slide. And the, the, um, the different ways that we are gonna be conducting public outreach throughout the entire 2023 calendar year from January of this year, or this coming year through January of 2024. Um, we are first developing a public outreach plan, which we're developing right now with our team members. Um, we are in the midst of conducting some community interviews with leaders and elders in different equity priority communities to really clearly understand how we need to conduct our outreach in ways that are going to be effective and meaningful in different communities. And we'll be using that input to update and, and adjust our public outreach plan. Um, we then have a, a commitment to citywide outreach, which will include uh, at least 30 citywide events over the calendar year um, that we'll be distributing all across the city. Um, and then in addition to those 30 citywide outreach events, we have 24 different events in partnership with our community partners in our six equity priority communities. And those are events that will be largely led by our community partners. We wanna make sure that they have a lot of um, 
of say in how that work is done, how the community is engaged, um, what's the format, what's the venue, I mean, what type of discussions we need to have to create something that's productive. Um, and then to complement all of that on the ground outreach work, we'll also have a series of interactive web tools that we'll be using um, and we'll ensure that those web tools are also um, accessible uh, for, for the disability community as well uh, in order for people to provide input in a really broad range of ways. Um, we plan to have kind of two phases of public outreach. In the first half of the year, we'll focus on really understanding people's needs and values um, and priorities in terms of uh, both the bike network as well as things like programs and policies and accessibility. Uh, and then in the second half of, of this coming year, we'll then focus on really bringing the draft recommendations to the public to ensure that we're vetting them in a really comprehensive way that the recommendations that will make up the draft plan um, have strong public support. Um, so go to the next slide. So then we have our draft and final plan for the active communities plan. And this is, is really what, what will actually go into this as a document. Um, the first of which will be a series of goals and vision, uh, goals and, and a vision statement uh, that will we'll kind of try to clearly express and represent not just the policies of the city, but the, the priorities and, and goals and needs of, of the communities that we've worked with throughout the 2023 calendar year. It will include a draft bike network. So this will be an updated and new proposed bike network that will end up uh, dictating uh, prioritization of projects um, and implementation over the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, it also include recommendations for bicycle parking and other types of support facilities. Uh, you see one of, one of the photos that we have on this slide is of a, of a bike corral. Uh, that is an on-street area where it's blocked off for people to, to park their bikes on. Um, we'll also have a, a pretty broad-ranging set of what we call policy and programmatic recommendations. And so that is things like, you know, just like as, as you heard in the previous um, presentation, uh, all of the policies that are being set up around enforcement for scooter share companies. And so, you know, that, that's one aspect of kind of the policy uh, structure that we would be looking at in terms of everything that would be touching the bike network and how does it work and how do we encourage the, the goals that we've set for ourselves. Um, it, that, that's how we would be looking at a policy and programmatic section. Um, we'll also be developing uh, information around implementation and how the costing of all of this work um, and how we fund it. Um, and then another area that I think is of particular interest for the MDC is we're also going to develop what we're calling a personal mobility device guidelines. Uh, and that really is um, trying to, to get down into the technical aspects of how do we design a bike network that is explicitly um, for the purpose of, of a broad range of mobility devices. Uh, and I think even there were some comments in the, in the scooter item talking about how we need to have wider bike lanes to be able to accommodate different types of, of devices. And I think that, you know, we really have a, a strong interest in our work in, in how do we transform the bike network into an asset for the disability community, um, whether that's adaptive bicycles or other types of mobility devices. I think we need to be thinking about those users in mind when we think about how we design 
our bike facilities and our bike networks, as well as the policies that we put in place to help support those users. Um, and then the final piece of this is then pulling this all together as a single document in terms of a, a draft and final plan that we'll make sure to begin circulating with the public in the fall of next year. Um, and we can kind of go on to the next slide from there. So in terms of uh, bringing this to approval, uh, there are some bodies that we will have to take this through no matter what. Um, and that includes the Bicycle Advisory Committee, the SFMTA Policy and Governance Committee, the SFMTA Community Advisory Committee, and then ultimately probably at least two hearings at the SFMTA board. Uh, I think we also have a lot of interest in making sure that this is a plan that goes through other committees and, and councils such as yourselves. Um, this is also you know, something where we'll be, need to begin our approval path probably in the range of uh, late 2023 to ensure that we can get our plan adopted um, in March of 2024. We have some flexibility with Caltrans, but not a lot. Um, so that's kind of what we need to, uh, to aim for. I think the other thing to, to, to mention is, especially given the, the EIR lawsuit for the, the old 20, 2009 bike plan is we will be seeking a statutory exemption um, under SB 288, uh, which does provide a, a, an exemption for the, these types of plans specifically. Um, so hopefully that will help spare us some uh, legal headaches in the future. Um, next slide. Uh, so that, I mean, is largely our presentation. I think my interest today is especially before we begin any of our public outreach work, I really want to ensure that we are uh, getting input on how we engage with the disability community and with MDC specifically throughout the coming year. Um, there's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of outreach. There's going to be a lot of events. And we want to ensure that we're having meaningful ways to engage with the disability community and providing space for the MDC in the capacity that they want to be involved. Um, and so I think that I'm happy to take your comments. I, I'm sure there's probably a lot of clarifying questions as well, um, but I'm very excited to, to continue working with you all and, and to bring this work forward and hopefully find ways to make the bike network in San Francisco something that is is far more expansive and accessible um, and, um, and 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 of broader use than it is today. Thank you, Christopher, um, for your um, presentation. I'm going to um, turn into my fellow council member if you have any. Question for Christopher? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Orchid here. Yes, thank you for your presentation. It was very interesting. I am a cyclist myself. And I hadn't even realized the extent of what you're planning to do. What I like to find is bike paths in places that are flatter, less hilly, and I'd like to see wider bike lanes. Because I think that'll be a challenge given some of our small streets. 
and also streets that are very busy like Valencia um, between what is it 18th and 21st it's such a busy corridor there are restaurants there's on-street parking there are bike lanes and other 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 uses of the street and I definitely see that that can be improved in terms of safety. But I do appreciate the research you've done. I look forward to seeing more of it, especially in what I've just mentioned. I also want to mention that there is diversity in the disability community. And it will also be difficult, I think, to attract some members of the disability community because it may not be a topic they've seen as relevant to them. Um, so I, I do, I do hope, hope to see more of that and I'm very interested in what happens. Thank you, Greg. Are there any um, council members want to ask a question? I have, I have a question for you, um, Chris, Christopher. One question is that going forward, do you, are you going to, are you going to have a, a focus group on, on this issue? And I hope that people with disability community is part of that um, focus group, study group, whatever you would like to call it, but I think it's beneficial for your studies and for the city to include people with disability in making decision-making with this particular issue. <clears throat> That's one question. And the second question is that um, I know that going forward that you would like to ask us to participate on on what whatever you guys going to do. At this time it's hard to say what are those without? What is it that um, you um, specifically needed from the community? I hope I'm making sense. Um, so that's, that is my two comments slash questions. For you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for your comments. So I think, in terms of, of you know what we're what we're asking for from the disability community, especially during um, our citywide outreach work. Uh, so you know it will it will evolve and change as the the outreach process progresses. Um, you know, in in the first half of the year, we are really focused on trying to understand. Uh, the the needs and the priorities and the challenges uh, of different folks in San Francisco with regards to uh, 
bicycling and the bike network and and the use of other devices and whether that's input around you know the facilities themselves the bike lanes you mentioned you know bike lane width or the routes that we have or things like um, parking or uh, or even access to bicycles in the first place uh, you know one of the uh, examples that I that I always bring up is is that in the tenderloin for example there's a lot of SRO housing where people don't have the room or the space to store a bicycle and so if we aren't creating solutions for long-term overnight storage in that community, it's hard to ask people to support bike lane projects because they have no way to use them. And so we need to then look at what are the, what are the solutions we can bring through this plan to help facilitate access to the bike network. And in other communities, it might be that people don't have access to bikes. Maybe they don't have access to shops where they can have where they can have repairs done. Um, maybe they don't have access to education um, and education opportunities. Maybe they don't have access to uh, information and encouragement so that they can understand that maybe there's a people that a lot of people that skateboard in this community, and that they can still use that network. And it's and it's and it's important for people to understand that this is a network that's meant for them and meant for their benefit. Uh, and without that type of communication, you know, we can we can end up losing out on on connecting with those folks. And so there's a there's a broad range of things that we can be doing, and we really want to start understanding in the first half of our of our outreach um, where what what things we need to be on looking at, what things we need to be prioritizing, what challenges we need to be addressing. Um, and then in our our second phase of our outreach work, it will be more focused on bringing recommendations to the public to get their input, to understand, are we prioritizing things the right way? Um, you know, and that includes things like a draft bike network, but it also includes things like what policies and policy actions do we need to bring and change within the city to help facilitate some of these better outcomes? Um, or what kind of new programs do we need to be looking at introducing? Uh, in order to give people access to the things that they, they want that would actually allow them to feel comfortable and confident using the bike network. Um, and so that's that's kind of the, the broad answer to, to what we'll be asking for in terms of input. Um, and I think that you know we have a really strong interest in ensuring that there's a um, you know strong representation of you know, the various needs of the, dis of the disability community, because it is a very diverse community with different needs. But I think that there's a lot of potential for us to um, really reframe the way that we uh, portray and, and pursue bike network projects in ways that can be really beneficial um, to the disability community. Instead, sometimes they're viewed at odds with, with the needs of the disability community. And I think to what extent we can find those solutions, we really, really want to to, to pursue that. Thank you. One of the things that came to mind as you're talking is that a lot of people might don't know that that power chairs can mm. can use the back the back the bike lane I know that it's a little bit uh, Touch is a big among 
the community, but mm. I think it would be good for us to educate the public and the community that that people with power chairs can use um, um, of course that's a little bit touching subject but something to exploit. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, now I'm going to the staff if any staff has questions. Nicole? Hi. Hi. Thank you, Christopher. This is Nicole speaking. Um, thank you for this. I'm really excited about this and I, I, I just want to elevate what Orkin and Alex had said. I think one of the challenges to outreach that I'm that I'm sure we're gonna we need to continue thinking about is that many folks with disabilities don't see themselves as potentially part of a bike network or mm -hmm. a recreational network. So we we one of the things we'll need to do is really think creatively about how to how to reach people in a way that they'll want to engage and see themselves as impacted. One of the questions that I have towards that is, is there movement or thought towards moving the adapted recreational biking program from a, from a recreational program only into a program that is more geared towards uh, commute access or other other uh, recreational use in the bike lanes themselves, uh, separate from special events that we hold uh, a few times a year. Are you able yeah. to speak that? I think that's a, a fantastic idea. And I think that this is the, the vehicle where we can identify those types of needs on, on the policy and program level and figure out how we prioritize them for actual implementation. Um, and I think this is this is the type of, of kind of feedback and input that I want to make sure that we're capturing because um, you know this this is I think this is our best opportunity to to make those types of programmatic changes on a comprehensive and citywide level rather than kind of program by program, project by project. This is where we can start establishing those higher level, you know, priority and policy statements where it can then act as a accountability mechanism for the SFMTA to say, you know, we have these policy actions within the active communities plan. So we need to be prioritizing them for, for real action. Um, and I think that, you know, the changes to the adaptive bike program, absolutely one of them. I would love to find for us to, to explore ways to make that a more broadly based program. Great. I know that New York and Chicago have had some success with an adapted, uh, I'll call it commuter-esque because I don't know enough about the individual program status today, um, but we've there have been success in other cities and I could see it mm -hmm. having success here if we're doing, if we, if we do appropriate outreach to folks towards mm -hmm. that too. One of the things that I know that we've learned in, in the way that I'm SFMTA has been doing outreaches is that one of the more successful ways to reach the disability community in particular is to go to community-based organizations, 
specifically rather than um, expecting all folks with disabilities yes. to come to you. And so I'm wondering if there are, and perhaps I missed it and if I did, I apologize, but have you, uh, are there disability advocacy groups on your uh, community uh, plan yet? Or is there work towards developing um, that group? I, I know that, uh, for instance, uh, the Sherry uh, Albers, our council member is not present today, but I, I do know that uh, the organization that she works for, the Lighthouse, has been mm -hmm. interested in uh, accessible uh, biking as well and accessible recreation. So maybe you could speak a minute to uh, the way that you think you're thinking about reaching disability community members uh, where they yeah. are. I mean, I think that's that's one of the reasons why we're coming to you today is to start figuring out the best ways for us to do this within the outreach process and within the project process. Um, I yeah, I, I'm gonna probably reach out to, to Lighthouse now, like before the yeah. end of the day, probably. Um, yeah, but I think that that we have a lot of interest in embedding ourselves into the organizations and programs that are already in place rather than asking people to come to us. I think that is going to be our general approach to our citywide outreach work as a whole. Um, you know, I've certainly found that to be more effective in a lot of my other work uh, than, you know, hosting an open house and asking everybody to come down to it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But I think beyond, beyond, you know, the, you know, individual work with individual organizations. I think, you know, it, it, I do have interest in figuring out what's an appropriate way to, um, to keep those organizations engaged at a, at a, at a higher level. Um, Cause I think there was, you know, you would mention, and I think Alex did as well about, um, you know, having some sort of kind of, I guess, like almost like council representation uh, of sorts. And, you know, I think that's something we, that we'll have to, figure out how we would build in an effective way. Um, you know, we do have a, a technical advisory committee that's, that's of course made up of, of our city agency partners and really hopefully meant to represent kind of all that technical expertise, like, you know, for folks that work in public works or the fire department, um, you know, I don't have that knowledge myself. Um, but I think that there's, there's an argument to be made for, you know, an advisory group that is, is made up as well of, of you know, critical stakeholders and, and representatives as well of different, different communities with different needs. And then I had a final question. Thank you so much. And a final question about the bike lanes that you, um, you mentioned that you're going to be looking at the ones that are highly utilized and the ones that are underutilized. Is, yeah. there, is there a thought to kind of re, redesigning the, the primary bike network in response to under versus uh, over utilization? Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the plan will have a new proposed bike network, um, which I think to a large extent will com be comprised of the existing network that we have today and then identifying what changes to the facilities we would want to make, you know, upgrading a, a regular bike lane to a protected bike lane, for example. Um, but I think within that, there's also opportunities for us to understand and identify, you know, what, what pieces of the network we would take off of the network today and what other streets we might want to add on. Um, you know, and I think that that's, 
that's really something worth pursuing and understanding in terms of, of where people are actually using the streets, whether they're within the, the network or not. Um, I think we've certainly seen that with our bike counter program, where there are certain bike counters we've installed, you know, 10 years ago that now don't get any use because people don't ride that route anymore because now there's a better route somewhere else. Um, and so I think it's, it's really important for us to understand, um, you know, how the network's being used, um, where it's successful, where it's not, especially if there's a really great facility that nobody's using. I think it's also important for us to dig into that deeper to understand why is that? Um, is there a gap somewhere else nearby that makes people not want to use that route? Are there other factors that are involved? Um, are there other pieces that we need to focus on in terms of our programming or our communications or our relationship with different communities um, to help kind of unlock the potential of that part of the network? There's These are the types of things that we want to dig into with as part of the, the citywide public outreach process. Great. Of course, MOD is, is uh, we'll continue to partner on this and and uh, help with the outreach in, in as much as we can. I, I would also say just as a final thing that, and I, I'm, this is likely being discussed, but it also seems to me that we would want to be uh, specifically when we're thinking about what people with disabilities would want with this, mm. beyond the opportunity to recreate, I think they're kind of bringing us back to our previous uh, agenda topic around sidewalk riding, mm -hmm. at least uh, anecdotally what we've seen, if not by the data itself, we we have a high percentage of violation mm. in those areas where there's no bike lanes uh, they happen where there's bike lanes too, but we have um, in those areas where there isn't a bike lane, a higher percentage perhaps of folks riding illegally on the sidewalk. And so that's just another uh, detail that I would encourage us to look at as we're looking at what would help most with the network. Uh, so thanks though for your work. There's some really exciting things coming forward. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I, th I think to that point, I'm very interested in, in working on what are the the kind of the wide range of strategies that get those types of devices off the sidewalk. And part of it is improving the network. Part of it is kind of what enforcement mechanisms we have. Part of it is education and encouragement work and messaging with the public. Uh, and there's there's really a broad range of things. I mean, I think even as simple as I know in the city of Oakland, for some bike lanes, they have a stencil for a bicycle and they have a stencil for a scooter. And that could sometimes be the difference between somebody choosing to use that bike lane or riding on the sidewalk. If they have this visible reinforcement that says, oh, I can be here, um, that, you know, the, 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 once we start to combine all of these different solutions, I think that's when we start to see real progress. Yeah, when people see themselves, I think they're more likely to comply. So thanks for that. Thanks, that's all from, from me, Alex. Thank you, Nicole. I'm David, have a question. I do. Um, I'm a member of the technical advisory committee that Chris just mentioned, and um, am very um, enthused about this particular direction that the project has taken. Um, just uh, building on what Nicole just said, uh, 
there could also be a stencil of the accessibility system on the bike lane. And that would really communicate a lot to people. Um, one thing I wanted to mention um, for the council to be aware of, and I've been mentioning this to Chris, I think in addition to looking at and examining what needs to be done to include um, more access for people with disabilities and personal mobility devices, um, we've definitely heard um, from the disability community about um, bike lane bike lane behavior in bike lanes mm -hmm. and about um, safety of pedestrians with disabilities um, in crossings, street crossings where there are highly used bike lanes, especially by commuters. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it'll be interesting to look at that question and examine it in light of, you know, what kind of culture San Francisco wants to encourage um, with respect to uh, both pedestrian behavior and um, cyclists or people who use the bike lanes. Mm -hmm. um, and I also thought there was interesting um, overlap between the last presentation and this one. And um, I think there, um, one thought that came to my mind is that um, I think in any kind of public education campaigns, I think the city needs to promote the idea of um, people with disabilities and seniors um, as active, active participants in the city and people who need the city wants to encourage getting out of their homes and being active in all the different ways, either as pedestrians, as users of bike lanes and all of that. And I think, um, you know, part of the problems may still um, be due to a, a myth of disability mm. that is part of ableism that mm. people aren't out and about and people don't really care to be active and people um, aren't, you know, expected in, in all the places where everybody else is. And so um, I think that's just something to bear in mind. Um, but I think that it's, it's an exciting prospect and I think it's also great to see, you know, a city project coming to the MDC this early in the process and talking about how to engage um, and uh, asking questions rather than simply waiting to, you know, come at the end and say, hey, is this okay? Um, <laughs> it, there are things that people with disabilities are acutely aware of that are not in the consciousness of people who don't share our experiences. And I mean, that's true amongst each other as well, because our community is very diverse. Um, so anyhow, thanks very, very much. And this is great to see. Thank you. Are there any more staff members has comment or question? 
Okay, now I will ask the clerk, thank you for my opening up to the public comment section. Yes, so just a reminder to the public, you can make a comment by using the raise hand feature on Zoom uh, or by typing your comment into the Q&A chat box. Uh, and if you're joining us by phone, you can make a comment by dialing star nine and it'll prompt you when it's your turn to speak. Um, at this time, I don't see any uh, members of the public that would like to make a comment. I'm gonna wait for like 10 seconds and then we can go forward. Oh, 10 seconds. Um, again, Christopher, thank you for coming. I hope this is the first step for us to working together on this issue. And I hope we will see you again in the future. Absolutely. I will definitely continue to follow up with, with Debbie and Nicole on when the right time is for us to come back to MDC. Because so I think you're a really great partner in this work and I want to make sure there's 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 ample opportunities for you to help shape this this plan. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Now we are moving along to item number eight, announcement of the winner for Bob Blanthorp Beacon Awards. Um, Alex, if I might um, chime in right here. So far as I know, I'm just monitoring the um, participant list. Um, we had arranged with the winner, Jessica Lehman, um, to be here. Um, she did, when I spoke with her earlier, she mentioned that she is uh, this afternoon attending an advisory committee meeting and was expecting to be able to join us around this time. Um, and something may have come up that is keeping her from joining. So I guess I would like to suggest that we hold off on that um, since we would like her to be here to accept the award and make comments um, and um, go on with the rest of the agenda. If she joins us, we can, you know, change the order of items and- I think she is. Oh, Jessica just joined, speak yeah. Okay, good. Never mind. I know I was in another meeting and I was watching on SFGov TV so I could jump over. So I'm sorry about that. I wish I'd right. been. I felt to be here the whole time. Thank you for coming. And I'm just going to read my script about you. Okay? Bear with me. So. Again, this is item number eight. Um, I'll it uh, for Bob Dunn Hope Beacon Award. Um, the Bob Dunn Hope Beacon Award is presented to an individual with a disability 
who lives and or works in the city and country of San Francisco who exhibits understanding leadership and who is guiding light in the disability community. Past winners of the Beacon Awards have included Alice Wong and the late Bob Blanhold. This year, the name is the award has been changed to the Bob Blanhold Award as a tribute to Bob Blanhold, who passed away in the so talking about Jessica, Jessica Lemon was selected just to receive the award this year for giving a voice to seniors and proven disability in San Francisco, organizing members of the disability community to have an impact in policy in San Francisco, <clears throat> advocating for seniors and people with disability to secure funding from the city. So that's about Jessica, this award speaks to your dedication and commitment in advocating on behalf of seniors and people with disability through your leadership, you and your staff do amazing work in a addressing issues and concerns that impacted those community. So thank you for your hard work and achievement leading seniors and disability action. Um, do, you, do you have any speech that you want? Well, I think anyone who knows me, which is all of you, knows that, of course, I have something to say. Um, thank you so much to the Mayor's Disability Council for this honor. I really appreciate it. Um, it, has, it has really been an honor to be working with the disability and senior communities in San Francisco um, as part of Senior and Disability Action for the last 10 years, uh, 10 and a half years to be exact. Um, and we've all gotten a lot done together. And one thing I love about SDA and doing this work in community organizing is the, the need and the ability to take an intersectional approach to recognize that disability communities are so broad and diverse and the people who are, who are gonna be the strongest in figuring out solutions are the people most impacted. 
um, disabled people of color, queer disabled people, poor people, et cetera. And that we can do so much by building power with other marginalized groups outside of disability communities. Um, I think some of the, the highlights of the work that we've all done are um, establishing support at home, the, the uh, home care subsidy program for people who don't quite qualify for IHSS, but we know are not rich by any means, um, winning free muni for seniors and people with disabilities with Chinatown, CDC, and other groups, winning funding for rental subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities. Um, and then we helped create senior operating subsidies, but we've got to keep uh, pushing until we get disability operating subsidies as well. And then we're recently fighting against COVID care rationing and fighting for access to vaccines, which of course just highlights the, the pervasive ableism in our society. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to work with MDC and CADA and other groups on a big end ableism campaign, hopefully in the next year. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about Bob Planthold and uh, found a, an old picture of him with his yellow crutches um, at, a, at the press conference where we celebrated winning more time to cross the street. And that was a big campaign um, led by my coworker, Pyra, who just retired. Um, and uh, and it, it was a huge success. It was a real accomplishment for everybody who fought so hard. Um, and Bob was certainly part of that. I was also thinking that Bob and I always had a rocky relationship. And um, I, I love that I was saying this to, um, to one of our board members, Maria Guillen, and she said, between two intelligent, fierce, and passionate advocates, we would expect rocky. Remember, it is the friction of two twigs that creates the fire. I just thought that was, that was really beautiful. Um, and obviously, you know, in terms of the name of this award being a, a beacon, that there is so much ahead of us, right? And I think that that the disability community is often looked to to lead the way on issues. Transportation, you know, I don't need to tell this group that things have been hard and there's really hard issues to figure out and conflicting access new access needs and the fact that we're all having those conversations. Um, is great. Um, there's there's so much work to figure out in terms of nursing home transitions, um, staff at SCA current and former, particularly BIPOC staff, really pushed me and our organization to address racism and white supremacy inside our organization as well as beyond. And now I think folks are really looking to disability community folks to figure out how to do hybrid events and to teach others. So I'm really proud to be uh, working with all of you and part of these communities. And thank you so much for this award. Thank you for your work and I hope we will continue working together going forward. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, thank you. Congratulations. Yes, and well deserved. We will see you soon. Should I log off? Is that best? Um, you can say if you want, but okay, I'll stay. I don't I know that you have meetings. Um, glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks. So now we are moving to item number nine, 
purchased information and item correspondence. Um, David, do we have any correspondence at this time? Yes. Um, in uh, Since the last MDC meeting, the MDC received two letters. Um, they're both from Howard Chabner, and they were pretty lengthy. And so I am going to summarize them. Um, they have, were sent along to MDC members as well. Um, the first letter was sent on October 18th, and it referred in length to the MDC resolution about closure of JFK Drive, stating that almost none of the access and safety recommendations from that resolution were met before the Recreation and Parks Commission and the Board of Supervisors adopted and the mayor signed the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program. Um, in his letter, um, Mr. Chabner pointed out that almost none of the access and safety improvements have been implemented. Um, and yet he pointed out that RPD has spent over $200,000 on JFK Drive in recent weeks in removing lane markings, painting murals on the pavement, acquiring restored doggy diner heads, installing dozens of Adirondack chairs, and hosting beer gardens and food trucks. Um, he states in his letter that all of this speaks volumes about San Francisco city government's priorities and in particular about recreation and park department's lack of commitment to access and fairness. In his letter, he urges, he urged council members and others who uh, the letter was addressed to, to vote yes on Prop I and no on Prop J um, and reiterated um, that um, RPD has not implemented accessibility measures despite the pending election. Um, the second letter was uh, dated October 31st. And in that letter, Mr. Chabner expressed disappointment that the MOD sent an announcement out to the public regarding an adaptive transportation event, um, rather than advocating for the recommendations in the MDC resolution on JFK Drive, and took great um, uh, argued against uh, sending that announcement out on the Saturday before the election that included props I and J. In his opinion, holding this event immediately before the election was an attempt to influence voters. And he stated that it's similar to the Recreation and Parks Department having spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on JFK Drive um, before the election. Um, and went on just to, um, again, state that 
the RPD has not installed safe code compliant curb ramps at several corners along JFK Drive, nor has it made the inaccessible Sky Star Ferris wheel accessible, nor has it addressed the dangerous cross slope at the intersection of Stanion and the adjacent RPD parking lot. And um, so again, the, the, I summarized the two letters and um, the full letters were forwarded to you. And that is all of the correspondence Thank that you. we received. Thank you, and that. Now we are going to item number 10, the general public comment. Take is there any general public comment at this time? Uh, I do see that at least one member of the public would like to make a comment. Um, and just as a reminder, um, if any member of the public does want to make a comment, they can use the raise hand feature if they're joining on Zoom or chat in the Q&A feature. Uh, or if you are calling, you can dial star nine and you will be prompted um, when it is your turn to speak. Um, so at this time, I see one hand raised. Um, it is a call-in listener, 415-225-2080. Uh, um, I have allowed you to unmute yourself and you may make your comment. Yes, this is Pyra, and actually was on item eight. I hit star nine when you read item eight, and it seems like there was no public comment. So if it's okay, I'd like to do a public comment on star eight, I mean, on uh, item eight. Is that okay? Um, this is today, just right now you can, um, yes, go ahead, go ahead, please. Okay, this is Pyra, uh, the retiree of Senior and Disability Action. And I want to comment on uh, the award for Jessica Lehman. And I'd like to really just say, I worked with her for 10 years. In fact, I'm very proud that I was on the hiring committee when we hired Jessica. And I'm very honored to have worked with her for 10 years on items like free muni, the crossing timing for seniors and people with disabilities, uh, give me shelter campaign, and many more. She was the one who actually took Senior Action Network and put the D in it for disability, and we became, under her leadership, Senior and Disability Action, a very strong organization in the past that expanded to seniors and disabilities. And that's why I'm really proud to have worked with her for 10 years. And thank you all for recognizing that. I wish she was here, but I'm going to tell her afterwards. And um, that's all I have to say. So thank you very much and have a nice weekend. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? 
Uh, I do not see any other members of the public that would like to make a comment at this time. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm moving to item number 11, discussion item, cousin members, uh, comments or announcement. This is, this is Orchid here. Just a brief comment. I wanted to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday. And we all look forward to a better year in 2023. And I hope that you're all safe over the remaining months of 2022. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Okay. That's all I had for now. Thank you. Other, other um, council members, do you wish to have announcement or comments at this time? Helen? Uh, no, no, but that's okay. I'll, I'll echo Orchid's uh, um, comments about um, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving, and um, I'm I'm still so I'm smiling ear to ear about Jessica's speech, and then how nice that her colleague, who who was on the hiring committee ten plus years ago, also made comments. So. Um, Jessica, we're we're so happy to award you this, and um, and again, thank you for all your your work over the years. Thank, thank you. you. Um, are there staff or council members? Um, this is Debbie. Yeah. A brief reminder that the next MDC meeting will be on. January 20th, 2023, whether we are ready for another year or not, it's coming. Thank you for that, Debbie. Um, last note before I adjourn, just want to um, remind. Uh, this is, I'm sorry, Alex, this is Orchid. Will we continue? I wanted to double check what format we're going to be in. Will we continue on Zoom? Uh, this is Nicole speaking. Yes, for for the time being, we're, uh, we remain virtual. Yes. Okay. Okay. As I was saying, before I adjourn the meeting, I just want to remind folks that we're having a holiday party open to the public we live on December 9th from 3 to 5. Uh, more information will come. So wait for that. Second, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and please be safe and please don't eat too much. <laughs> And um, again, just want to remind folks, the next public meeting will be January 22-23 at 1 to 4 on Zoom. So without any objections, I'm going to adjourn 
intermitting. Oh, yeah. Or, or just speaking, I second the adjournment if that's necessary. Thank you. So thank you for the staff. Um, thank you for the interpreters. Um, and happy Thanksgiving all. <laughs>